Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Steve S. Palmer. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Wow. Thank you. Wow. I'll make sure I increase my bonus check to you. Thank you. Um, As Groucho Marx once said, (laughs) uh, before I speak, I have something important to say. Um, That was supposed to be funny, but that's okay. (laughs) I I have two important things to say. I think what I'm going to teach on today is very important. But the other day, the Lord... um, gave me a word that I feel is a prophetic word for some of you or one of you. I just want to be faithful to deliver it. Um, I was reading in, um, in Luke the other day, and this just really jumped out at me. And I felt like the Lord said, this is for somebody at church. So the scripture is, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you're of more value than many sparrows. And here's what I want to share on that verse. There are over 8 billion people on the earth. Yet God knows each one of us so intimately that he even knows how many hairs are on our heads. Now, for some of you, that's really easy. I could do that. But I won't mention any names. But that's, that's intimate. Of course, he laughed when he said we're more of more value than sparrows. Jesus said how um, five sparrows are sold for two cents, but not one of them, not one of them, think about this, not one of them is forgotten by God. How much more you? You're worth a lot more. He died for us. Now, I've been married for over 45 years. And I love my wife very much, but I have no idea how many hairs she has in her head. But God knows ours, and he cares for us very much. And right now, he's looking on us with great love and compassion. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows about your needs right now. You're not forgotten, but loved and cared for by God. So if that means something to you, I want to encourage you. If he knows how many hairs are on your head, he's going to take care of you, okay? So, amen. Um, how many remember uh, the last time we had a week of fasting and prayer and we ended up with that incredible uh, Wednesday night service? Were there many people? Or Friday night service, yeah. It was an amazing night. Um, we had a week where just a handful prayed every day in the, in the, in the prayer room. And, uh, but when that night came around, the power and presence of God was absolutely incredible. Um, Keith, you can, am I exaggerating? What? Thank you. And um, people got saved that night. They found Christ. People were healed. There were a number of powerful healings. And so I'm really excited about this coming week of fasting and prayer. Did everybody get one of these when you walked in? If you didn't, please get one on the way out. It gives some really great information about what fasting is and how to fast. So it makes it really simple. And every day, starting Wednesday at noon and at 5 p.m., we're going to have a prayer meeting. Um, 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday we're here, then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then that next Wednesday, April 5th, we're going to have a powerful healing service. And I doubt if there'll be enough room in the furnace. We may have to move somewhere else. So isn't that great? Are you excited? You will be excited. You don't sound excited, but you will be. And who, who I mean, really, who gets excited about fasting? I, I... Exactly, exactly. So I want to start with... Um, I happen to see my dear friend Rick Huber and his son. Hey guys, good to see you both. Thanks for coming. See, your hairs are easy to count. You don't have any. So that was loving, wasn't it? <laughs> Hope he didn't kick the bucket. Okay. So let me start with what fasting is not. Fasting is not twisting God's arm. Fasting is not trying to get God to do something that he really doesn't want to do, or you're not trying to twist God's arm to do something that he wants to do. That's not like that at all. Fasting is not trying to pay for or earn or deserve something. God already wants to bless us and answer our prayers. He's already forgiven us we're not trying to get him to forgive us or bless us or help us. He already has taken care of these things. But we're not always in the best place to receive them. And by that I mean sometimes God wants to bless us. You know, like if I'm going to hand you a gift, you have to hold your hands out. And we're like this because we either have a hang-up or we believe a lie or we're just in a, in a funk. But God always wants to bless us. The problem is sometimes we're not able to receive it. Fasting helps us get to a place um, of humility and brokenness before the Lord where we can receive something. Fasting helps us get hungry <laughs> for God. Fasting helps us get to the end of ourselves, which is super important because when we're at the end of ourselves, then we can get to God. Um, we pray and fast because it works. <laughs> it works. When we fast and we pray, something always happens. It's throughout scripture, it's throughout Christian history. And Jesus said, when you fast, not if. And there's um, a scripture um, where it says, uh, they, they, uh, the, the, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist said, well, how come your, not your guys aren't fasting like our guys are? And, and I think the Pharisees even said that to him. And Jesus said, uh, when the bridegroom's here, you don't fast, but when the bridegroom's taken, then his followers will fast. But at the same time, we know he never leaves us, right? When, when Jesus ascended, he placed his spirit in us. Jesus lives in us. So do we really even need to fast then? Because he might be up there, but he's also here. And I think what that's talking about is that when the bridegroom is taken from us, we're waiting for his physical return, right? And we're the bride of Christ, right? Now, that's weird for guys to say, but girls always have, women always have to hear we're sons of God, so we're the bride of Christ, so get over it. <laughs> and when the bridegroom comes and takes us, we're going to be at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. But until then, until then, our bridegroom is gone, we're still going to fast and pray. So this is uh, uh, actually, I want to talk about new covenant fasting as opposed to old covenant fasting. For one thing, as in the Old Testament, we're not lamenting the absence of God, but we're, we're looking for more of his presence. 
We don't fast in order to get back into the land like the Jewish people did in the Old Testament. In Christ, we already have him, and we never lose him. In the New Testament, we never find a mandated fast as in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were weeks and days of fasting. Uh, But Jesus has shown us the shift from the Old Covenant to the New. In Matthew 16, he said, When you fast, don't do it to be seen by others. Don't look sad. Don't look like that. Don't put on sackcloth and ashes, but anoint yourself with oil. Don't let anybody know what you're doing. You do it in secret with the Father in heaven who sees you. And that, I think, is, is the, new, the new fast. And then what we have is a practice that happens only on specific occasions. In Acts chapter 13, um, it said they were, they were uh, worshiping and fasting. And in, in, that, in that moment, the Lord gave them direction. In 1423, in Acts, when they anointed uh, elders, they prayed and they fasted. Um, and also, there are certain times where people fasted during severe times, like Paul's experience when, uh, in chapter 9 where he, of Acts, when he, came to, when he realized um, Jesus was real and he didn't eat for three days and just was waiting on God to do something. So there are those seasons, but it's not a mandated thing. And I'm going to give you some reasons later why we should fast. Um, But there's not a whole lot written, believe it or not, in the New Testament about fasting. There's these few incidences in Acts. There's what Jesus said in the Gospels. There's not one thing about it in the epistles. It was just a common practice that they all did. Um, Of course, in the Old Testament... There's lots of examples of fasting. There were designated national fasts for repentance. Um, Many people, examples of people fasting in dire circumstances, like Ezra in chapter 8, where he and a group needed protection from God, so they fasted and prayed, and God protected them. When Queen Esther fasted uh, for the salvation of the Jews, they did a dramatic fast, no water, no food, for three days because they were about to get slaughtered, and God turned that down. Uh, turn that around. Daniel, desperately interceding for his nation, um, did what we now call the, the Daniel fast, where he had no um, meat, no sweets, no wine, just um, vegetables uh, and grains. There's many examples in the Old Testament for us, but with some distinct differences. The repentance one, we don't have to do anymore. We're not trying to earn God's forgiveness. We've got it. And this is really important. Um, we don't need to uh, fast and pray and put sackcloth on so God will forgive us. He's already forgiven us. This is so important that we get that. In the Old Testament, they fasted um, to, to get God's forgiveness. In the New Testament, we already have it. In the Old Testament, they fasted to get something from God. In the New Testament, we fast because we already have it. In the Old Testament, it was all outward, sackcloth and ashes, Um, to get God to do something, we already have his forgiveness, as I mentioned. Repentance in the Old Testament was outward. Ours is inward. In the Old Testament, it was to get God to do something. In the New Testament, he's already done it. I used to hate um, fasting. I hated it because it was tied up with a lot of of legalism. I was afraid that if I didn't fast, um, God wouldn't bless me. I was afraid he would be displeased with me. I was afraid I wouldn't get what I really wanted in the spirit without it. Without it, And as I learned more and more about his love and about his grace, I realized we don't have to do anything to earn God's love. We have it. This is important. 
We're in a new covenant. God did it all for us. The only requirement he has now is faith. All he asks us to do is believe. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't get that from good behavior. We get it from the behavior of Christ when he died on the cross. Are you with me? So we have it all right now. But what fasting does, it helps us to receive it better. Fasting is not a hunger strike between you and God. In the New Testament, biblical fasting isn't so much about how God responds to your prayers. It's more about how you bring your prayers to him. It says in Peter that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Fasting is a means of humbling ourselves before God. We don't add the Old Testament stuff of weeping and sackcloth. But it's a private thing where we humble ourselves before the Lord. It's really a heart issue. Fasting enables the Holy Spirit to reveal our true spiritual condition, resulting in brokenness and repentance in a transformed life. Helping, or fasting helps us hear better. Fasting will help us grow in our relationship with God. Again, remember, fasting is not a way to get a better response to prayer. Rather, true fasting is a means of fostering a better, humbler approach to prayer. Now, as I said, fasting was a common practice in the church, and it's been a common practice in in history. Um, Actually, fasting helps to unclog us. Here's where we're clogged up, up here. You know, let me give you an example of that. When I was ministering in India, um, I would, without exaggeration, when we prayed for the sick, at least 90% of the more, 90% or more of the people I prayed for were healed. Think about that. When I was in Africa, the healings were like phenomenal. Does, um, um, see, their issue there wasn't, is there a God, like here in the West? Their issue wasn't theological. Well, does God still heal today? But now we have the Bible and we've got doctors. Um, and in their mind, their issue was, we believe God, we believe he does miracles, just which God is it? That was the difference. Their worldview was there's a God and he does miracles. And in the West, our problem is up here. Too much uh, uh, Western rationalism where we doubt everything, where we question everything, where we're raised from infancy to adulthood to, to not believe in miracles. So fasting helps get our heads unclogged and get back in the right mindset. Can you say amen to that? And again, the most important thing I've personally learned about fasting, and I've gone from hating fasting to really liking it. I still love food. Don't get me wrong. I might not look like it, but I never stop eating. I just love to eat. So the thought of fasting is like, oh, man. But I love it because of what it does in my relationship with God. Um, Again, please read these handouts that you got when you walked in, they're really, 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 really good. So um, fasting is to help us slow down, to take more time to pray, to be more conscious of God in our daily lives. I'm going to give you a few fasting examples. I'm going to give you, there's a million reasons, but I'm going to give you a few. And then the last one I want to elaborate on, because I know this week many of you are going to have encounters with God like you've never had before. I promise that. If not, Keith will pay you <laughs> a dollar. 
Okay, here are a few fasting examples in Scripture. To prepare for ministry or for his calling, for callings. Jesus went into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, as you know, and prayed and fasted. We don't just fast about problems, but we can fast about our purpose. Secondly, to seek God's wisdom. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says they prayed, they appointed elders, and they fasted to seek direction and wisdom. To seek deliverance and protection in Ezra 8, I already shared that one. Uh, We don't need to show grief or repent publicly any longer, so that one wouldn't apply to us. But in Acts 13, 1 through 3, they use fasting for worship. Um, If if, Take my word for it, because I know this is not like, does anybody have one of these with you, or is it on your iPhone? Okay, so let me just read this, because you just, I don't want you to take my word. You, You shouldn't believe anything I'm saying without... You should look in the Bible and make sure I'm telling you the truth, right? And now the, the senior pastor is here. The pastor of pastors is here. He will stand up and rebuke me if I'm lying. Okay. Just be nice when you do it, Nathan. Acts 13.3, it says, um, while they, or verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Then after fasting... And praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. See, it's right there. For worship in Acts 13, but also in Luke 2, we find out that there was an old lady in her 80s who fasted and prayed and worshipped every day in the temple, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Her name was Anna. Do you remember her? And she ran in and found Jesus and spoke all those wonderful things over her. Fasting and prayer prepared her for that. In Acts 13, we also see fasting is for sending people out. In Acts 9 and Matthew, um, we find out that uh, fasting can be for healing and direction. When Paul was waiting three days to find out what he was supposed to do, he was also waiting for healing. In Matthew, Jesus said this kind of demon comes out only with prayer and fasting. And lastly, fasting renews our connection with God because we're more sensitive when we're not all fooded up. And I want to read to you uh, a verse, and I, it's, it's a, a Psalm 46, is, it's a wonderful psalm. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. And the psalmist in 46, for the first um, 10 verses, he's just talking about God, how great God is, what God is doing. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, in verse 10, he's not talking anymore. God breaks through the scene, and God himself speaks. And he says, be still and know that I am God. This is God saying this. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know how difficult it is to be still in this day and age? Do I need to tell you that? Have you ever tried to be still for five minutes? We are addicted to noise and activity. It doesn't help that we carry the internet with us. Do you know that... um, 97% of Americans own a cell phone. 
and 85% of them is some sort of smartphone. So we're always checking emails, text messages, Facebook, Instagram, and all the others. In John Mark Comer's excellent book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says that our abnormally but universally accepted modern Western lifestyle is a result of three things. The clock, the light bulb, and the iPhone. The clock, first. In 1370, the first public clock was set up in Germany. Historians popularly point to that moment as the turning point when the world shifted from natural time to artificial time. Previously, people woke up with the sun's rising and went to bed with its setting. Number two, the light bulb. In 1879, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb in New Jersey, by the way. God's favorite state. Which, among other things, cut way back on our time. And it was the beginning, what, of factories with big lights and shift work and people's lives dramatically changed with light bulbs because before it was just candles, right? And Dr. James Moss um, wrote a book on sleep, and he said, prior to the light bulb, the average American slept 10 hours a night with the increased potential for human productivity, technology took off, which brings us... Oh, let me read this, too. This is really, really amazing. By 1960, central air conditioning and heating, microwaves, dishwashers, and laundry machines were common in American homes. Around that time, sociologists commonly started making predictions about what human life would look like by the time you and I are living in right now. And pretty much everyone was on the same page. A dramatic decrease, or I'm sorry, a dramatic increase in leisure and ease of life. A Senate subcommittee, are you ready for this one? In 1967, jointly predicted that by 1985, the average American would work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year because of all the leisure time the new technology would free up. Um, anybody here living like that? <laughs> One person. Okay, well, good. In reality, the average time people spend on leisure has decreased since the 80s. Technology has continued to advance and save us time. They got that right. What they misjudged was how we'd use it. We spend time on other things than deep rest. Then, thirdly, the iPhone. I have to... Read this to you as well. When the Apple released their first iPhone in 2007, they gave us a tracking device for that very data. A 2016 study found that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day, staring at their phone screen for two and a half hours over 76 sessions. A more recent 2019 study discovered that in just three years, the figure had more than doubled to over five hours a day. 
Instead of slowing down and harnessing technology to free up leisure time, we now suffer from what mental health professionals call hurry sickness. Do you ever feel like you're in a hurry? Just one. Wow, I'm in the wrong church. I must be in the Amish church today, you know? Nobody's in a hurry here. Um, So it's called hurry sickness, a behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiety. Come on, doesn't that sound like us? In a society that prizes efficiency and productivity above all else, that uses time like a tool rather than a limit, is time your tool or your limit? Hurry isn't an occasional necessity. It's the new normal. Be still is not as simple as it sounds. The famous Christian philosopher Dallas Willard, maybe many many of you have heard of him in his discipleship books, somebody asked him, what do I need to be spiritually healthy? After a long pause, he offered this now famous response. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. According to Willard, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. What we have become to think is normal is really abnormal. And I think fasting can help change that. Fasting forces you to slow down. Fasting forces you to be still. Maybe not your stomach, but the rest of you. Fasting forces us to be still and know that he is God. And this week is an incredible opportunity for our church. There's all kind of fasts that were uh, listed on that handout, wherever I put it. There's all kind of fasts, whether it's a meal a day, or if you have health issues and you can't fast, I'll tell you the hardest fast in the world, fast from devices. <laughs> You'd be a saint if you could do that, right? There are all kind of fasts, a day, just one whole day, a meal a day, only eat one meal a day. They're all listed in there for you to make it easy. There's no guilt, no pressure. But we're asking you to do something. And there's power in that joint effort of us fasting and praying together. But personally, I believe that you will learn, you will have encounters with God because you'll start being still. for Because instead of that, that dinner, that lunch, or that breakfast, you're sitting still, you're praying, you're talking to the Lord. It really helps your focus. It really does. So I'm believing that God's going to move on our hearts this week as individuals, but also as a body. And I can't wait till next, this Wednesday night we have a service because it's the fifth, we do the first, third, fifth Friday, uh, Wednesdays of the month for a Wednesday service. But then April 5th is the first and that's going to culminate in a great time of worship and prayer for healing. I'm expecting all kinds of miracles and you should come expecting too. Maybe there's a breakthrough you've been praying for. Maybe it's not a physical breakthrough. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's for a family member. Maybe it's for a breakthrough financially. Whatever it is, this is a great week to do it. And I guarantee you, Wednesday night, we're going to have so many miracle testimonies. 
But the most important thing to me would be if this week you experience a new connection with God because you're finally still enough to know that he is God. So let's, let's pray. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.